The following message was given by Nick Kidwell, the senior pastor of Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. But today I am thankful to be in Matthew. Uh, Our text this morning is going to help us meditate further on the topic of prayer, on faith, and trusting the Lord. This past Tuesday at Fellowship Group, we talked about this topic, about prayer, what motivates us to pray, what hinders us in our prayers. And as we wrestled with the challenges and the weaknesses that we can face in prayer, um, Deb Demai actually brought to mind the story of Monica, the mother of St. Augustine. And I was reading more about her this week and encouraged by her. Many of us likely know St. Augustine by name or Augustine, however you pronounce it. He was one of the early church fathers uh, and he had a profound influence on Christianity through the ages, but St. Augustine was not always St. Augustine. And actually, until the age of 31, he very decidedly wanted to reject the faith of his mother, Monica. He wanted nothing to do with Christianity. And so from a very young age, she began praying for him, fervently praying for 17 years that the Lord would do something in his life and transform his heart. And though there were often times that specific things she was praying for, the Lord would still allow Augustine to walk into, uh, he was working. Augustine wrote in a prayer to the Lord, she, being Monica, did not know how much joy you, being God, were to create for her through my absence, meaning the Lord was using all the twists and turns of Augustine's life, all those times where Monica was saying, Lord, don't let him go here. Lord, don't let him do that. And yet in his absence, she had no idea all the joy the Lord was working out uh, in Augustine's life. She prayed faithfully for 17 years. She prayed for her husband for 30 years that he would be saved. And on his deathbed, he too converted to Christianity. During Augustine's wayward years, a local bishop commented on Monica's faithful prayers, her fasting. He said, the child of those tears shall never perish. Basically saying, with such a fervency and passion and faith and trust in the Lord, he'd be shocked if the Lord didn't provide for her request. I'm challenged by examples of faith like Monica. We read that passage earlier about Hannah who prayed so much so that Eli thought she was drunk because of the fervency she was praying in. And we are told by the Lord, this is the same kind of zeal and passion that we are supposed to have. Our passage this morning looks at yet another mother. So moms, thank you for your faithfulness to pray. Another mother who makes entreaties of Christ for her daughter. And Though her time period of request was shorter, we see the same faithful spirit nonetheless. A spirit, I pray, will prove infectious to us this morning, encouraging us as a congregation to be faithful, persistent, and expectant in our prayers. So please turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 15. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 31. And let me pray before we read. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can come before you in your word. Thank you for all the ways you've already stirred our hearts in expectation for you. And we just ask that you would work on us now. Help us to be expectant. Help us to believe that you hear and respond and love and care for us. Thank you for the example of faith in this woman we're about to read of this morning. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 
All right, Matthew 15, 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. This is one of those passages that can leave us simultaneously encouraged and confused. Encouraged because we see the Lord extend mercy to a desperate woman, healing miraculously not only her daughter, but many others as the chapter continues, but also confused at this exchange, at the seeming indifference at first of Christ towards her. And even more so confused as to why he'd call her a dog. It seems like quite the insult. And so before diving into some reflections on our approach to the Lord that we see out of this passage, I want to highlight a few aspects of this passage and what's taking place so that we can better understand the context. What we see here is the Lord having entered into Gentile territory, Tyre and Sidon. He seems to have done this with an intention to find some rest. He was withdrawing from the crowds, yet we know from reading this gospel and others, Jesus never finds a place of seclusion and rest, and so he's sought out, specifically by this woman, a Canaanite woman, a woman who is not just called a Gentile or distinguished by the city she came from, she's called a Canaanite. Matthew's making clear this woman is not only from outside of Israel, but she is from the descendants of the enemies of God that we read of in the Old Testament. And she comes and she entreats Jesus to help her daughter who's impressed by a demon. Much to our surprise, Jesus doesn't respond to her right away. It says, he said, not a word. Well, this woman continues to cry out, so much so that the disciples are at the end of their rope and they're pleading with Jesus, please just heal her, her daughter, and send her away. We can't take her crying anymore. Jesus then responds to all of them by saying that he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, but she still persists. The Lord then uses this metaphor saying, one would not take the food that's been brought to the table for the children to eat and throw it to the dogs. And the woman responds, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. We then see the Lord blessed by her response and he grants her this healing. So so what is going on here in this exchange? Well, first we have to keep in mind, the Lord will test our faith at times. 
Jesus is never cold. He's never calloused. He's not unapproachable. We see Jesus time and time again welcome all manner of individuals to himself. We've seen him heal Gentiles already earlier. So for, for us to see him not to respond to this passionate request, we can be sure it's not out of some racial bias or, or smug piety or lack of love. It's purposeful. And in this case, he had something for this woman and for all of us to learn through her persistent request. Second, there's a real aspect to what the Lord is saying here about his mission prior to the cross. When Jesus first came, he was sent to make known his coming first and foremost to the house of Israel, to the ones whom the prophecies had been given and the promises had been made. While God had promised that Gentiles, those outside of Israel, would see a great light, the promises always began in the household of Israel to Abraham's descendants. This is where that dog and child analogy comes. It's certainly not a flattering metaphor to use, but it's capturing an issue of priority and importance. At this historical moment, the people of Israel were God's chosen people and the ones to whom the promises had been made. Though they had not earned it, like the children of the household, they should take top priority in order of who gets to eat first. The Lord is making known in this exchange that reality. He's saying the time has not yet come for the offering of grace to be spread out broadly to all. That, we will see, begins after his ascension into heaven following Pentecost. Third, though the mission begins in the house of Israel, the mission is never intended to be confined to Israel. We're given the promises, as we said, of blessing, the blessing of Abraham to go to all the nations. We see the Lord save many outside of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And even in this story and in its parallel account in Mark, we capture the fact that God intends to save those outside of Israel. Mark, in, in summarizing what takes place there, says the children are fed first, then the dogs, implying a time comes for the dogs to be fed. That's the implication here in our passage, if it's not explicitly stated. And clearly, as we see at the end, the Lord does heal this woman's daughter, making clear there's not a refusal on the Lord's part to bless those outside of Israel. There's something else going on here. And then that segues to this fourth, fourth note to make about this section. The Lord always intended to bless this woman. We will wrestle further with this a little later in our passage. The Lord always intended to heal her daughter, but he intended to do so through her faithful petition. Jesus wasn't reluctant to respond, but he was drawing her out and requiring her to exercise her faith. This is what takes place when we call upon the Lord. Martin Luther once said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance but laying hold of his willingness. There's one way to see this story 
where we say, look here, reluctant Jesus, hot and bothered by this woman, finally, only after time, caving into her persistent whining, which if we've come to know Jesus at all through the gospel of Matthew, we know that is absolutely not what's going on here in this passage. But there's another way to see this, and that the Lord is testing this woman's faith. He's eager to bless her, but is requiring her to display her faith through her persistence, laying hold of his eagerness. Jesus knew he would bless this woman by delivering her daughter. Jesus is eager to do things such as this, but Jesus also wanted this woman to persist in faith to bring it to pass. And that leads us then to where I want us to spend our time this morning, considering how we ought to pray and approach the Lord. And just one final caveat before going further. We've spoken previously in our Matthew series, even in our most recent, one of our most recent sermons entitled, Truly You Are the Son of God, we've spoken about the realities of unanswered prayer Times when the Lord doesn't answer when we would like or what we would like or how we would like. We've spoken about the reasons for that and how to process that. I'm not going to be devoting a ton of time this morning wrestling through that aspect of things. I encourage you to go back and listen to some of those messages. We had a good one on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 5. That reality exists. Often the Lord doesn't respond how we expect or how we in our limited knowledge would like him to, or in the time frame we want. But nonetheless, the command to us, the example for us, and the picture given to us in the scriptures of how we ought to approach the Lord, even knowing that the answer may not be what we want, the unavoidable call from the scriptures is what we see here in this story, that we are to approach the Lord humbly, pray to him continually, and expect that he will respond. And those are the three things we're going to look at. We approach the Lord humbly, persistently, and expectantly. So first, we approach him humbly. There are many things that can try the patience of a parent. But one of the most tempting can be a disrespectful, presumptuous request. Rather than saying, Mom, could I please have a glass of water? The child comes bursting into the kitchen while you're in the middle of preparing a meal, and they declare, I want water. Now, this is not simply the child's immature way of making their request known, at least not most of the time. This is, whether they realize it or not, a disrespectful presumption. The I want water request says, Mom, you are here to fulfill my needs when I want them, how I want them. What you're doing can't possibly be as important as the request that I have right now in this moment. The I want water request doesn't carry with it a whiff of gratitude for the fact that mom has paid the water bill or that mom has given you a glass of water many times over the years No, it stands in this air of, you owe me this right now. And when such requests come, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying my knee-jerk response is, get it yourself. (laughs) There's a tonal shift that comes with a simple word of please. There's so much about our hearts that are communicated with a simple thank you. We've spoken previously about the Lord not only wanting, but commanding us to bring our needs to him. 
We see in the scriptures that Jesus calls us his friend. We are God's children if we've trusted in him, but none of that removes the need for us to approach our Lord in humility. Though we can approach him in confidence, he's our father, he's he's still the Lord of the universe. And he is and will forever be worthy of all honor and praise. Everything comes from his hand and he is deserving of all gratitude and thankfulness. The Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When Jesus teaches us how to pray in that prayer, he says we have to begin with reverence. We acknowledge who it is that we are approaching. When we approach, the Canaanite woman rightly saw that the Lord welcomed her to approach. There's a boldness about this woman. She is coming to the Lord persistently, but she also saw that approach needed to be one of of humility. We don't see her walk up and say, yo, Jesus, heal my daughter. She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Later in verse 25, she again calls him Lord. And when the Lord makes this metaphor about children and the dogs, rather than taking offense and turning away because she's just been compared to a a dog, she rightly recognizes her humble estate before the Lord and continues to entreat. For us, prayer is an exercise of humility. When we pray, We are reminded of our need before God. And as we pray in accord with what we are taught in the scriptures, the Lord cultivates us, cultivates us, cultivates in us an appreciation for who he is and he deepens our love for him. We live in a very entitled society. Even the poorest among us are among some of the wealthiest people who have ever walked the earth comparatively. We speak of the right to this and the right to that and the right to the other. The reality is, we would have no rights if it were not for the Lord. And because of our sin and rebellion before the Lord, if we're not found in Christ Jesus, we truly have no rights other than the right to punishment and condemnation, which we fittingly deserve. We balk at the Lord comparing this woman to a dog, but the reality is, we're all right there with her. Left to ourselves, we are all creatures of the dark. Dogs that return to their own vomit, pigs that can't appreciate valuable pearls that are put Before them. In fact, we're worse than dogs. We don't even deserve the scrap off of the table. But the glorious thing about our God, about this Jesus, is that though all of that is true, that that though this Canaanite woman was descended from the enemies of the people of God, a woman unclean by Jewish standards, though this woman approaches Jesus, and Jesus reminds her of her humble estate by acknowledging her need. By humbling herself, by saying, Lord, have mercy. And yes, Lord, you're right. I'm not deserving of the food of the table. By acknowledging that, she displayed faith in Jesus as the son of David, 
as the Lord, as the one who is able to help, as the one who's able to save, as the one who's able to provide. And rather than Jesus giving her a quick kick on the side and sending her away, he honors this expression of faith, which he delights to do. And in so doing, he shows that when we trust him, we actually do have a right to come before him boldly. Church, we come before our God humbly, bringing our requests before him with open hands. We acknowledge that ultimately it's his will and not our own that must be accomplished on this earth. But, but then because of the great grace that he has shown us through his son, Jesus Christ, he invites us in an expression of that humility to approach him in boldness. This woman was humble, but she was also bold. We should be the same. Hebrews says, because we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who was tempted as we are yet without sin, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We don't deserve the Lord's grace. We have to remember that. But then because of the gift of grace that Christ has given us through his death and resurrection in humility and thankfulness for what he has done, we approach in confidence and bring our requests. And we're to do this, Scripture tells us, without ceasing, which is the second thing. We approach the Lord humbly and persistently. If there's one thing we could say about this woman, it is that she is certainly persistent. So much so that, again, these disciples are begging Jesus to send her away. We see examples of such persistence throughout the Gospels. The men who lower their friend through the roof because the house is so crowded. Zacchaeus climbing up a tree to gain a view of the Lord. The prophetess Anna, who we're told, would pray and fast in the temple night and day waiting for the promised Messiah. This is the picture that we get in the scriptures of the faithful. A passionate and persistent pursuit of the Lord, which most regularly is expressed in prayer. This woman had access to Jesus in the flesh. We don't have such access at the present, but we do have access to the Lord through the Spirit in prayer. And as such, the persistence we see in this widow should translate to how we relate to Christ and our Heavenly Father in prayer with persistence, and as we'll see in a minute, with expectation. Prayer is our intentional communication with the God of the universe. In prayer, we praise God and offer thanks for what he has done. In prayer, we acknowledge, as we've said, our humble estate. In prayer, with boldness, because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ, we entreat the Lord to change our hearts, to sanctify us, to align our wills with his. And in prayer, we ask the Lord to provide in all manner of requests. We see this in Jesus himself. Though he was God, in his humanity... Throughout the Gospels, Jesus daily and frequently is praying, praising God, entreating of God, and often pulling away for private times of extended prayer with God. And this is what Christ calls us to. This woman's persistence is not meant to just be a story for us to see, but there is an example here for us to follow. And how do we know this? Well, the Lord himself taught that we should have such an approach. One of the most famous examples of the Lord calling us to persistent prayer 
is his telling us of the story of the persistent widow, uh, a parable. The beginning of this parable in Luke's account, it reads, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always pray and not lose heart. The parable then describes this widow seeking justice from a corrupt judge, and she's persistent and persistent, and finally this this corrupt judge relents. Now, the parable is not meant to liken God to the corrupt judge. It's using the judge as a foil to God, saying, if this judge who is corrupt will grant the request through this woman's persistence, how much more a God who is willing Will he respond to our persistent request? Remember, as Luther said, our prayers aren't overcoming God's reluctance, but it's laying hold of his willingness. We're told in the rest of the New Testament to pray without ceasing. We see Paul say that a husband and wife should not withhold marital intimacy from one another unless they're doing so for the sake of their prayers. I don't know of many couples who have wrestled through this one together. We're told to be sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of our prayers. We get the picture of the apostles and the church growing in prayer continually and, and fervently thanking the Lord for His grace, asking for His protection, providing strength for the mission, opening up doors for the gospel, giving the grace to grow, and so on. Prayer is an absolutely vital and central component of our walks with the Lord. Much of our prayer life will be maintaining an awareness of the Lord just throughout the day, quickly praying and asking for the strength as we head into a meeting or into a conversation, thanking the Lord for the parking spot that just opened up, listening for Him as we read the Word. And then there should also be a practice in our lives of extended prayer where, where we sit down and we meditate in the word, with God, bring our requests before the Lord, lifting up prayers for ourselves and for others. We see both modeled in Christ and in the scriptures. We should all use this woman's faithful example to challenge us in evaluating our own persistent approach to the Lord. We are to pray with passion and persistence, not growing weary, but expecting that the Lord intends to use our prayers for our growth and that the Lord uses our prayers to move in this world. And that brings us to our last point this morning. So when we pray, we pray humbly and persistently, and we need to pray expectantly. I know from speaking with others, even in our fellowship group this past Tuesday, many of us feel like our prayer lives leave much to be desired, myself included. When we assess our current situation, we feel like either we aren't living out the call to pray continually, or when we do pray, we're distracted, or, or we struggle with intruding thoughts in the face of unanswered prayers. There's a lot of stumbling blocks for us in prayer. And as with anything that requires perseverance, there are some dangers that lurk seeking to kill any creation of positive habits. Sometimes we don't persist in something because we don't really feel the need to do it. Sometimes we don't persist because we feel ill-equipped to do it. But I think when it comes to prayer, the number one challenge we face is believing that our prayers are effective, lacking faith. For many of us, 
I fear we have very low expectations of what can and does take place in prayer. Again, I often struggle with this myself. I've been challenged meditating on prayer this week. Far from prayer being a checkbox of the religious life, prayer is a very real means that the sovereign Lord of the universe uses to fellowship with us, align our will to His, and accomplish His purposes on this earth. The Canaanite woman persisted because she knew and firmly believed that Jesus could grant this request. She wasn't giving up. Now, this isn't an arrogant, I won't take no for an answer, but a faithful, I know you can and I want to lay hold of your grace. The scripture teaches us that God is absolutely sovereign over all that happens. That God will accomplish all that he plans to accomplish. Not a leaf falls outside of his will. In the face of such unfathomable sovereignty, we could be tempted to say, why pray? God knows what I'm thinking. God knows what I'm wanting. God knows what he intends. But such a thought is completely out of step with what God has revealed to us. The scriptures paint a picture of a supremely sovereign God who accomplishes his purposes so often through the actions of his created people. The Lord uses our prayers in a very real way to accomplish what he plans to accomplish. Scripture is full of examples of this. One such is Hezekiah's prayers in the book of Isaiah. This is a great example. Hezekiah prayed for protection from the Assyrians. And we're told the Lord hears and responds to Hezekiah's prayers. He says to Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken concerning him. Because you have prayed to me, This is the word concerning him. Isaiah then speaks a word from the Lord to Assyria. And this is what it says. Have you not heard that I determined long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I'll turn you back on the way in which you came. Don't miss what's going on here. This is very time-travelly, mind-bendy, TARDIS, Doctor Who stuff deep into the pool theology. But theology we have to grasp with humility so that we might have persistence and expectation in our prayers. God says to Hezekiah, I'm going to drive the Assyrians away because of your prayers. But then he tells the Assyrians, I'm going to drive you away because I plan to do that from a long time ago. God's plan was always to drive the Assyrians away, but he always attended to accomplish that through the very real prayers of Hezekiah. God could have done this any way he wished. God could have just driven the Assyrians away, but he always planned that he would do so through Hezekiah's prayers. And this is all over the scriptures. 
including the New Testament. Paul says in the book of Philemon and writing to his friend, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Through your prayers. He doesn't say, I'm hoping God gives me to you. He's essentially saying that, but he says, through your prayers that God would do this. Paul sees the very real avenue in which God so often works is through our prayers. A.W. Pink, theologian, says, here then is the design of prayer. Not that God's will may be altered, but that it may be accomplished in his own good time and way. God interacts with us. We see God respond to the intercessory prayers of Moses, Abraham, and others to divert destruction for the people. We see God promise to destroy Nineveh, yet relent when they cry out and repent. We see God withhold rain because of the prayers of Elijah. We're told the prayers of a righteous person have great power as they're working. This is not farce. Has God changed his mind in such circumstances? Have we affected the will of God? In one way, yes, but in another way, a great astounding no. And so we'll talk about these things. God interacts with us. And to interact with us, that means our communication has an effect on God. We relate. So in one way, God's saying, and we see it here, you need to ask me to give this to you. This woman needed to persist in request of the Lord for him to give her what she was seeking. He wants us to do that, and he will respond when we do. But in another way, no, God's overall plan and intentions never change. Jesus always knew and planned to answer this woman's prayers. This wasn't a surprise turn of events for him. God responded to Hezekiah and answered because of his prayers, but again, He planned to do that from long ago. It's a mystery. But there's this big overarching will of God that does not change, cannot be thwarted, will not be altered. Yet within that, God intends to work that will out through the very real requests and actions of his people. Requests which do prompt him to respond and move. We can't say, I don't need to pray, God's going to do it. That is not what God has told us to do. We must pray. One writer says this, we never change God's eternal plan when we pray, but we're called to pray and pray expectantly for change. We're to pray that the sick would be healed. We're to pray that the lost would be saved. We're to pray for all kinds of change in our hearts and bodies, in our neighbors, in our workplaces, in our nation, in the world, but never for any change in God. Christians pray, and whatever we pray, your will be done. We stand before the sovereign God of the universe who has control over all things. That should motivate us. And though he has a great plan, he is working out, he invites us to pray because he intends to work that plan out through our prayers. History books are full of innumerable stories of God responding to prayers, bringing about revivals, 
breaking people free from sin, giving wisdom and understanding, stopping the mouths of lions. And I know this room is full of many such stories as well. God hasn't set it up that if you just removed the prayer from the situation, the same story would have gone down. We must pray. That's what he intended. And earnestly pray that we might know him more, see him more, and not lose heart. Share stories with one another of how God has responded in prayer of the ways you've seen him move. In the book of Daniel, we read at one point, Daniel prayed and three weeks later, an angel of the Lord appears to him, telling him that from the very first moment that he prayed, the Lord dispatched this angel. Yet he appeared three weeks later. Often the window can be much shorter or much longer than three weeks. But just because an answer has not yet come doesn't mean the Lord is not moving. Don't assume because you're waiting the Lord is not moving. I've had prayers that were answered in the next breath. I've had prayers that I've seen answered a decade after I began praying them. And I have some prayers that I continue to pray, but I haven't yet seen the Lord fulfill. We live with the knowledge that the Lord may not grant our request in this life. And if he doesn't, we know it's for our good. Yet the picture we get in Scripture is that we are to pray with persistence and expectancy nonetheless. So often we give up rather quickly in our prayers. What does that communicate about us? What does it communicate about what we think about God and his ability and his willingness? What does it communicate about our view of prayer itself? I desire that we follow the example of this Canaanite woman, of Hannah, of Monica, and that we be a people who pray, who pray fervently. And even if we see the Lord's will in response to our prayers come to pass 17 or 30 years later or perhaps never on this earth, we never cease to expect that he can move and he has heard us. Church, this is the God we serve. One who knows and loves us, who is eager to bless us, who sovereignly and lovingly over all things, and who delights to enlist us in his great purposes through our prayers. If you're here and you don't know this God, or you haven't trusted his son Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you too can have access to his eternal kindness through his son. And that begins in prayer. Acknowledging before God that you need his forgiveness, submitting your life to him. And in response to that gift of repentance, he grants you, he will save you, he will seal you, and he will give you his spirit. That is one prayer we know will absolutely always be fulfilled. Church, let us be a people who pray, who stand humbled before this unfathomable sovereign Lord of the universe who's condescended to save us and who invites us to communicate with him, who persists, wants us to persist daily in fellowshipping with him, bringing all manner of requests to him. And, and we should be a people who expect that in a very real way, God intends to use our prayers to bring about his sovereign will. We need to be people who pray. Let's pray now. Father, I ask that you would use your word, that you would use 
the scriptures to affect our hearts. Help us to be people who cling to you in prayer. Help us to be driven to our knees in prayer that we might know you more, Father, and we ask that you would use our prayers to bring about your good and sovereign will. Father, we ask that we would be Burden to pray for people and situations that the kingdom would go forth. Lord, lay good thoughts and good kingdom purposes on our hearts that we would pray with fervency that you would respond. Lord, you have given us your word full of promises. I pray that we would lay hold of those promises, that we would pray those promises with expectancy. Help us to be a people who are standing upon Jesus Christ in humility And with that, have the boldness to request before you all manner of things. Give us more of your spirit, we pray. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Nick Kidwell, given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.